Luke chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 liters of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
Have you ever experienced the joy when you begun, when you started something that you had postponed for long? You knew you should do it, but for some reason you postponed it. And finally you started and you thought, ha, you felt the relief and thought, I should have done this much earlier. Perhaps we all know this experience. You thought, I should do some body exercise, for instance. Or I finally should start the preparations for my exams. And you postponed it, but once you started, you thought, ah, I should have started much earlier. What about the way uh, we deal with the money, the income that is entrusted to us? It may be much, it may not be so much. But what about, well, handling it in a godly manner? Have you known the longing, well, I should pay more attention to what I get and how I spend it? Perhaps you have. And then, even then, I trust today's passage contains a lot for you. But perhaps you are among those who think, I should rather pay more attention to it. But you are among those who from time to time postpone it a bit. Well, today's passage has everything to do with the way we spend our money in light of the future that is coming. That's what Luke chapter 16 is all about. And this topic matters. So throughout Luke's gospel you find it in, in, in many ways that it comes back time after time but especially in this chapter you, you see this topic so I trust that God's word here contains everything we need to encourage us uh, to, to start or to continue to deal with money in a godly manner in such a way that it gives us joy, that you, that you say, ah, I would have liked that I had started much earlier. Or if you have started to live in this way, then you think, well, thank you, God, for it encourages me even more. So how does this chapter work? It starts with a story that Jesus tells to disciples. First one, he also said to the disciples. So a story for disciples And then as an inference, uh, Jesus draws some encouraging teachings for disciples about how they deal with their money. So the story runs from verse 1 to verse 8, I think. And then onwards you see the teachings to disciples from this story. Then the chapter continues with warning teachings for Pharisees in the way they spent their money and then the chapter ends with a story for them. However, whoever you are, (laughs) we need to hear the whole chapter. So if you are a disciple, you also need to hear the story for the Pharisees. If you might be like the Pharisee, you also need to hear the, the teachings to disciples. So let us look at it today And let's pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us in such a way that our eyes are opened 
and even though you perhaps already were seeing, that you may see more today. So what is this story all about, this first story? It is about a man, a worldly man. He's not religious. And this man faces a new future. So currently, he's very privileged. He is the manager of a rich master. So how wonderful to be such a manager, isn't it? And he uses the properties of his master for his own pleasure. He wastes these properties. He thinks he can do that. And, yeah, there are debtors of his master. They come to him. The master has entrusted the affairs to this man. What do you think? Would these debtors love this manager? I do not really think so. So that's his current situation. But then his master tells him about his future. He can no longer be manager. So soon the future will be completely different. What about you? What about us? Have you ever considered to face a future that is very different from the situation now? Perhaps it's hard to imagine that things can be different than they are now, but they will be different. So people from, from Ukraine all of a sudden faced this awkward situation, such different situation they are into now than some time ago. But we, you, should also be aware about the future. For every one of us it is true that the future we face is different from our current situation, and we must be aware. Now look at this man in the story of Jesus. This man hears about the future he's facing, and he anticipates. So he knows he can no longer be a manager. He thinks, what should I do? I'm I'm not a good worker, Uh, neither do I want to beg. And then he knows what he will do. He... um, He will go to the debtors of his master, and um, now these debtors look up unto him. Please, can you postpone paying the, the interest? Well, we don't have it now. Now they look up to him, but the man is aware, soon there will be a change. I will look up to them. Please, can you help me? Well, they will not be very willing to help him if he continues his current attitude. So... He decides, let's make friends using the properties of my master so that, the, so that they will welcome me in the future. So the first person gets a 50% reduction from the debt of his oil. The second one, detail, is more privileged. You think he isn't. It's 20% reduction. Yeah, but the 20% reduction of the wheat, this amount of wheat is much larger, so it's worth even more than the 50% reduction of the oil. Just a detail. So the man makes friends. And then Jesus says that from this story, though this man is a very worldly man, it's not a religious man at all, Jesus tells his disciples that you, that we, when we are a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, can learn lessons from this story. It's a story for disciples encouraging us. 
in the way we use our money. First lesson, verse 9, is make friends with your money. I tell you, says Jesus, verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What does Jesus mean here? Well, again, it is about our future. What does the future look like? The thing we should be aware of is that, that one day we will face God's judgment. God will judge the wicked. They won't inherit the renewed and restored earth united with the heaven. They will be out. But before this day comes, God has sent his saving son to seek and save the lost. This is the mission of Jesus. From chapter 9 and onwards in Luke's gospel, we hear about the mission of Jesus. He travels to Jerusalem. What will he accomplish when he arrives in Jerusalem? He will give his life as a ransom so that you can be saved. Now, let us be very clear. What is the lesson, the first lesson we have to draw from the story Jesus tells us here? The lesson is not give money to the poor, for instance. Give, give your money away in order that you might be saved, that you might be welcomed into the kingdom of God. So sometimes you may have heard that message. If you don't, well then. So you must be saved by being good enough, by giving enough, and so on. Well, that's not the message. For this, you should look at the previous chapter. It's all about the lost who are found. How are you saved? How are you saved? It's just by coming humbly to Jesus. Remember uh, last week's sermon. Uh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So if you come with faith and re with repentance to Jesus for forgiveness and for newness of life, your debts will be forgiven and you will be welcomed through faith, by grace, as a gift. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That is how we are saved. But now pay attention to chapter 16. When you have been saved by Jesus, be aware that in the kingdom of God, when you enter in, you won't be alone there, of course not. Once you enter there, you will see, for instance, that student worker who wrote you a letter. You had some expenses. That student worker depended on gifts. He was very blessed in, in his student work to reach out to students and share the gospel with them. But he needed some income, so he decided to write you a letter. Or remember that missionary. He saw some opportunities to give Bibles away, to build a school. Um, he needed some income, otherwise he couldn't continue in the country where he was a missionary. So he sent you a letter. What did you do with the letter? You thought, ah, oh, there are those beggars again. They feel their debt. They, they need me again. They need my money again. Oh, I get so many, of, so many of these letters. Yeah, perhaps you have some more money, some money to spend, and you get such a letter. 
Now Jesus tells us, be aware, one day in the kingdom, now they look up to you, one day, I'm sure that this is true of me, I will look up to many of these men and women and see, oh, they are really great in the kingdom, they have been so fruitful. So now they looked up to me for my money, but that day I will see, they are the great ones. And the question is, have I made friends with them during my life, or will I feel ashamed that they said, well... We need some help to help the Ukrainian refugees. To help, to help, to help. Yeah, you get such questions. Can you help? And you may feel that is weird. But Jesus encourages us. Be aware of the different future. No, you won't be saved by the way how you spend your money. You need Jesus' saving work on the cross. But once you are saved... Be aware in the kingdom of God there will be others and there is a gap between you and them and and you might make friends with them. So that's the first lesson, make friends. Let's go on. Second lesson, minor things matter. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So maybe you say, money is not important in my life. I, I don't want to talk much about money. Especially I've learned that the rich can say such a thing. If you have hardly money to spend, you have to pay attention to. But the more you have... the the more you will say, well, it's not so important. Jesus says, money matters. Minor things matter. How you spend it or waste it or use it, it it really matters. So Jesus gave as as, as an example the story of a dishonest manager. Now, it was not to teach us to not be honest, to be dishonest, of course not. The the master did not praise that that man for his being dishonest. He praised him for his shrewdness. So what about you? What about us? Even in the simple daily things, how you spend the money that you get, is it in a wise and faithful way? Your treasures, your talents, your time, is it in a wise manner? Or do you just waste it? Third lesson... Verse 11, management matters. You are the manager, you're not the owner. So verse 11, if then you have not been faithful, sorry, verse 12, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Which is another's. So if you have become a Christian, you are the manager, not the owner. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are owned by Jesus. Your body, your soul, but also your properties, your money, your house. It's not yours. It's his. You are entrusted with it. The talents you have, you are entrusted with it. The child you, you, you received, it's, none of these things are yours. You may enjoy them, you may use them, but you are a manager. And one day you will give an account of how you used that which was entrusted to you. So three lessons from, derived from one story. 
encouraging lessons for disciples to be aware that the way you use your money matters, counts. It's important not just to go on the way you were used to, but to make a change. When you have become a disciple of Jesus, you will make a change in the way you, yeah, you spend your money. It will be visible in the way you use your money. If it's not visible, ask yourself the question, have I become a disciple? Now, the question is, then why did Jesus need to teach these things? I mean, why isn't this going automatically? I mean, when you have been saved by grace, when you see that Jesus has paid such a price for you, when God has been so generous for you, then wouldn't that imply that automatically your whole attitude changes and, and Jesus needs, doesn't need to teach anything about money. It, it will just automatically transform you. Why is this so difficult? Well, Jesus knows. Look with me at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why is it so difficult? God and money are rivaling masters. So to become a Christian is a master transfer. What do you trust to help you, to give you confidence, to give you safety, to give you future joy? Well, again, look at the previous chapter, story about a father with two sons. What did these sons look at for real joy, confidence, and so on? They didn't look at their father. They looked at their father's property. They thought, if I have the properties of my father, that will give me anything I need. I don't need my father, I need his properties. That will be enough. Now the point is that we are all inclined to think the same. Our old nature, yeah, we need some joy, some, some confidence, and so on. Where do you look at? Yeah, we know we should look at God, but what when your income drops? What when the economic future changes? What? Well, we immediately feel stressed. Why? Because we have a previous master. And yes, when you have entrusted your life to Jesus, you have a new master. He says, I am your savior. My father is your father. He takes care of you. But that old master is always hanging around. And, yeah, imagine you have a new master, and your old master, your old employer, is still on the floor. He still makes appeals to you, promises, warnings. Then that makes sense, that makes an appeal to you. So we have to learn the difference when we have become a disciple to rely on God, on Jesus, and to act accordingly. To trust our caring father rather than our bank account. So these are lessons for disciples, encouragement. And we must not stop here in reading Luke chapter 16, for the story goes on with warnings for disciples, for, for Pharisees. And it is good for us, even if we are a disciple, to hear these warnings as well. So look with me at chapter 16 
verse 14 and onwards, and you see there the warnings for Pharisees. By the way, have you seen that the whole chapter, first part encouragement, second part warning, echoes the blessing and the woe of chapter 6 that we heard before in Luke's gospel. The blessed are you, poor, for, and blessed, and, and woe to you who are rich, no. So it's all coming back in this chapter. Warnings for Pharisees. So Jesus said, you will hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both equally, money and God. Now verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. So they think, yeah, we can love both. We can love God and love money. It's ironically that the Pharisees heard, because in previous chapters, time after time you hear Jesus is teaching, 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 and then you see the sinners, the tax collectors came to hear, the Pharisees, they wouldn't hear, they were deaf, they wouldn't pay attention to Jesus' words. Now we read the Pharisees here. Have they changed? No, they hear the word money. Oh, money, is it about money? Is there a masterclass about money? Yeah, there is a masterclass about money. I will teach you how to get rid of it. <laughs> then, then when they heard this, they listened, and they ridiculed Jesus. I mean, they were masters. They were rabbis. You could learn from them. They felt they were righteous before God, and of course they were rich. They enjoyed their riches. Now they looked at Jesus. He was a very poor rabbi, Think of his birth, laid in a manger, two turtle doves, brought as an offering they couldn't afford more than his parents. Uh, think of his life, even what, what, what uh, he had no place to lay down his head. He would enter Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Jesus, during his life, is a very poor rabbi. And his followers, many, many of his followers are poor too. Now they laugh at him. So, see this, this poor rabbi and his poor followers. They feel confident about their future. But then Jesus gives them warning teachings. Verse 15. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, if men look at these rabbis with their great knowledge of the scripture, if they observe them, how they keep the Sabbath, every detail of the Sabbath, they're very strict, people think, wow, they are the righteous ones. And yeah, the Pharisees were confident that they were righteous and they had their riches. So they had no worries about the future and when John the Baptist started to preach, the kingdom of God is upcoming, judgment of God will come, prepare for the future they would think, we don't need to pay attention. We are in and we will be in. But now Jesus warns them, first concerning their thought that they are righteous. Are they righteous? Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it or is forced into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So Jesus warns them, P 
people look at you as a righteous man, as men who are in, and you look at others as the ones who are out, but what matters is how God looks at you. The high, the exalted, will be humbled. Remember Mary's song, Zechariah's song. The high, the exalted, will be humbled. And the humble will be exalted. You think that you keep the law and the prophets? But remember that this law, that this law and these prophets completely will judge you. So if you keep some of these laws and think, well, because of this, I am righteous. I don't need a savior. Jesus warns, be aware. If you think that your righteousness by the law can save you, finally you will face judgment. Quote of Paul, Dr. Luke was Paul's travel companion. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. So when John and when Jesus started to preach, many became aware of their debt, of their need. They needed a savior, and Jesus is the savior. People were baptized. People came to faith. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Pharisees wouldn't cling to Jesus. They laughed at Jesus. They were confident that they were righteous, and they were confident because of their riches. Now concerning their righteousness and concerning their riches, look with me at verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. What's this? Many commentaries miss this. They say, out of the blue, Jesus switches the topic. It's not a switch of the topic. Adultery has to do with once you were covenanted with your lover, and then you looked at another. You began to love one another. You left the first one. Now, what were the Pharisees? What, what, did, we, what did we just hear? They were lovers of... Remember Bob's sermon, Deuteronomy 6. What is the great commandment? What shall, we, what shall you love with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your strength? Love? Well, they were lovers of money. So what have they done? They have committed adultery, not to man, but towards God. So pay attention why this verse is here. And if you don't believe me, then you might look at chapter 18, from verse 18 and onwards, the famous story about the rich ruler. He asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. First, do not commit adultery. Many commentaries again say, mm, Jesus seems to be mistaken. This is not the first commandment of the first table. It's neither the first commandment of the second table. Why does Jesus start with do not commit adultery and then do not commit murder? It's exactly the same reason. It is the adultery with wealth, with money, to look at what you have to save you. Now, why is it right to warn for that? Can money... Can your properties save you? It feels like that, of course. If you have a good bank account that feels happy, 
But, but is that right? For those interested in the, in the book of Psalms, at home you might look at Psalm 49. It's about the rich fool and about riches that cannot save a man before God. So that's just for those interested in the book of Psalms. Now Jesus ends his warnings again with an amazing story. A warning for Pharisees. And this story contains a great lot. It's worth not only just one more sermon, it's worth more, more, several sermons. But let's quickly look at it. Uh, for with this, uh, this topic is, and is wrapped up by, by, Luke, by, this, by this story by Jesus about the rich man and Lazarus. Three observations to make here. First, observe the contrast between this rich man and the manager in the first story. So these are the main persons in both of the stories, both the, the manager and the rich man. Observe the contrast. Yeah, they have in common that they face a new future. But what a difference. The first one is not a religious man, but because he anticipates his future, he has a happy future. The second man is a religious man. He has Moses and the prophets, but he faces a weird future in hell. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about being or not being religious. Your religion won't save you. Your money won't save you. Your religion won't save you. You need Jesus to save you. What a contrast. The second man, man does not anticipate a new future. He has confidence that everything will be fine for him. Now here is a question for you. Are you aware and do you see and do you anticipate this new future that is promised to us and is made sure for us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that there will really be new heavens, new earth, and a judgment, and there is a Savior, and only through faith and grace of this Savior you can enter in. So this is a question for you. Do you see it? Second thing to observe is the chasm. In both the stories, the first and the last, there is a chasm. In the first story, there is a gap between the manager and the debtors. First, they don't like each other. But when the manager realizes what the future will be alike, he decides to make friends with the debtors. So he bridges the gap. The gap may continue to be there, but he bridges the gap. Second story, the big chasm between heaven and hell, between the rich man in hell and Lazarus with Abraham, that chasm was already there during his lifetime. Lazarus was there. Rich man was there. Rich man did not make any attempt to bridge the gap. And so it became larger and larger until finally, after his death, it couldn't any longer be, be bridged. So again, the gap must be bridged. No, our gap between God 
and us, we cannot bridge with our money. It is bridged by Jesus Christ, and through faith in him, we can be received and welcomed into his kingdom. But once you have been welcomed in that, into that kingdom, are you aware of the chasms, of the gaps that are there? And have you learned to joyfully begin to, to bridge the gaps rather than to postpone this and only see, to see this as your weird duty? Third and last observation in the story, there is a common cause both for the happy future of the manager and for the weird future of the rich man in the, in the second story. What causes that the first man has a happy future and that rich man in the second story faces a weird future? It has everything to do with hear the word of the master. Remember last week's sermon, one thing is necessary. What is necessary? What did Israel have to learn? Hear, O Israel. So the first one, hears a message of his master. You cannot be manager any longer. The man hears it. it he believes it. It strikes his heart. He repents. He, he changes. He, he anticipates a new future. The second man, that rich man, he weakly in the synagogue as a very pious man, he is Moses, he is the prophets, and goes home unchanged, without faith, without repentance. So, last question. We hear Moses, we hear the prophets, yeah, we hear more. Oh, my friend, through my mouth and through this book, and through the Holy Spirit, you hear someone who is risen from the dead. He was sent by God. He became poor. He gave his life, his blood. He paid his life as a ransom to save you. Now, has this message come to your heart? Then congratulations for the happy future you face. And yeah, don't pay attention to that old master warning you if you want to, to make friends with your money, with those who need it. But go on following Jesus. And don't harden your heart for this gospel message. Amen.